Welcome to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. It is Wednesday. Dane Moore, podcaster extraordinaire who uh, podcasts about the Wolves often, will join me in a little bit to talk some Timberwolves, talk return of D'Angelo Russell, and what to pay attention to over the last 21 games of this season. But first, what did I miss? Okay, you guys, twins are undefeated, at least in my mind, or at least in the games this season that are not governed by the most asinine rule in Major League Baseball. And I'm not just here to complain, but here's here's the thing. Twins have won all their regulation games this year, 3-0 in those games, a um, couple, uh, couple of routes among them. But 3-2 and two, uh, is what the record says they are in the, in the standings right now because they have lost two extra inning games, both of them being of the uh, runner on second, no outs, start to the inning that MLB implemented uh, a couple years ago. So he- here's the deal. They, they lose one on Tuesday to the Tigers in that fashion, Akil Badu, Gets the hit for Detroit to win the game. Makes it hurt even more. That's a former Twins prospect that they lost in the Rule 5 draft this past offseason. He's looked really, really good so far early this season. The uh, the opener against uh, Milwaukee lost in similar fashion. Remember after Alexander Colome blew the save, the Twins went on to lose in that extra inning when, uh, when Milwaukee got the run with that head start and runner on second base. Here's the deal. I'm not just here to complain about rules, but I think it's a bad rule. I think it's a silly rule that doesn't fix the problem that it's really intended to fix, which is in large part that games last too long. That's a Major League Baseball problem, and it's not just going to be solved by one thing. But you can do better than this. A pitch clock is the, the thing that's really going to help the game. If you, if you, you can't fundamentally change the way players are playing right now. They're taking more pitches than ever. They're fouling off more pitches than ever. They're willing to strike out, take walks, work deep into the count. That is naturally going to make games longer. It's going to slow the pace of the play down, which, and and let's be clear too, there's two different issues. One is the pace of play, like how fast the game moves, and one is the total length of the game. Pitch clock helps with both of those things. Pitch clock keeps things moving. You put a 20-second pitch clock in there, as they did in the minor leagues, uh, 2014 to 2015, they switched that up in the minor leagues. Average length of the game during that first year jump from 14 to 15 was about 10 or 15 minutes less. That's a big deal. As someone who has gone to a lot of minor league games where the pace generally was better anyway, that pitch clock makes a big difference. The game moves a lot faster. Now, Major League Baseball tried to do this in 2018. Players Union didn't want to do it. I don't know why. Um, for some reason, maybe that the only workforce in America that's lobbying for longer workdays. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but they didn't want to do it. It still hasn't happened yet, maybe on the horizon at some point here, but it's it's still not in effect. So you've got these long lags between pitches. I think it's gone up to like 25 seconds in large parts between pitches. Now, you, you cut that by five seconds, you cut off like 15 minutes per game. I'm not even kidding you. 15 minutes per game if you can get the time between pitches down just a few seconds. So why not do it. So anyway, that's my pitch clock rant. Back to the original rule, which is just a bad rule, right? It, it just totally changes the game. It, it, I get it that you want to speed things up, but you know what? 98% of all games finish in 11 innings or less. So you're not playing a whole lot of extra innings anyway in almost every game. That's per fan graphs. So you're not really solving a problem. You're solving a problem for a very small sliver of games. And you know, what, like eight, seven or 8% even go into extra innings at all. So it, it's not really solving a big problem. It's it's solving a small 
problem. And it's not even really solving it in a good way. It's solving it in a way that changes the game fundamentally. The only way I can see reconciling this, let's go to hockey standings. Let's let's have a let's have extra inning games count as overtime or shootout losses. I, I I'm on board with that. Let's say the Twins right now are three zero and two, and the beauty of that is, of course, just like hockey, you don't count the overtime wins any differently. They just go into the win column, so it looks like you're even better than you really are. So that'd be great. Three zero and two is the Twins' unofficial record in my book until we get this whole thing solved. Transfer portal. Subject of mine that I love, but Gophers, my goodness, are losing players faster to the portal than they're gaining them. Liam Robbins now in the portal. That is eight players in the portal, including five guys who started last season. Pretty much anybody who regularly contributed for the Gophers last season is in the portal. It's Gabe Kalsher, Liam Robbins, Marcus Carr, um, you know Jamal Mashburn Jr., Trey Williams, like everybody who who you thought, wow, that that person could help them next year is in the portal. A lot of work for Ben Johnson to do, the new head coach, but uh, you know he's been active in the portal. He's gotten three guys so far, but you know three is smaller than eight. He's going to have a lot of work to do to bring in new players, whether it's you know incoming recruits, whether it's transfer portal guys. But right now, boy, unless he's able to keep a couple of those players that went into the portal. Keep, say, hey, you know, I know you're interested in trying something new. Maybe maybe I offer you something new. It's going to be a long year for the Gophers next year. So Ben Johnson's got his work cut out for him. He's done a good job in getting players from the portal so far. We'll see what else he has up his sleeve. But man, Liam Robbins would be a big would be a big blow to lose him in addition to everybody else. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to be joined right now by Dane Moore, covers the Timberwolves, does his own almost daily Timberwolves podcast. You guys think I talk about the Timberwolves a lot on this show, which covers all Minnesota sports and beyond. Can you imagine five or six Timberwolves podcasts a week for a, what, a 12 no 13 i don't want to cheat him a win 13. don't want to cheat him of a win they did win uh monday night 13 and 38 team um but he does a great job of it somehow makes it interesting and relevant dane moore welcome to the show thanks man it's it's uh it helps when there's relevant things happening not always good things but if there's all you need is a little bit of news right somebody injured somebody ant makes a leap you know cat you know, there, there's been for a bad team there's been a surprising amount of stuff to to talk about with this team this year. They they find a way to be messy and and interesting. That's absolutely true. And that's you know people you know, I get some of my friends like they make group texts or they're like you talk about the wolves too much. And then some of them are like <laughs> more wolves. So it's like it kind of goes back and forth. But it's like it, when you're in this when you're in the media business, sometimes it's not the team that's doing really well that's the most interesting, or even the team that's like you know, kind of right. good, you know, like the wild, they're interesting to me kind of right now, more than they, more than they are in most years, but they're, they're not messy. They're, they've had a few things happen and there's some, some little bit of drama there, but the wolves, like they fired a coach, hired a coach five minutes later from Toronto. Um, that was cool. They've or had, or even know, just last night, like, yeah, you have, the, you have this like 30 minutes for the fan base is euphoric about, you know, D'Lo coming back and then right. boom, press release, Malik Beast is out for four to six weeks. It's like, it is the nature of the Timberwolves, not just this season, but historically to be, you know, a tease. <laughs> like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, um, 
you mentioned Beasley. So I, I, I jotted down a few things. Maybe we'll start there. Um, you know, he's out four to six weeks, hamstring kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. Just one day he was on the injury report and then he's, you know, four to six weeks, which could be, you know, if you math it out, you know, they've got 21 games left four to six weeks could, you know, on the, on the far end of that, could you, could take you pretty close to the end of the season, if not all the way, how, how much does that hurt what they want to see? Cause I feel like the emergence of Anthony Edwards makes this less of a, Oh man, now we're never really going to find out. Or, you know, we still don't know what this looks like, but having another shooter, I guess, in that lineup too, gives you a different sense of, of how this all fits together. So what's your impression of how, how, how big of a deal this is in terms of them being able to establish if this is going to work going forward? Well, I think to start, you have to say it would work better more effectively with Malik Beasley out there, of course. But in a lot of ways, the rest of this season is not necessarily about effectiveness, right? Like we know the wins and losses don't matter at this point. And so, you know, to that extent, an upgrade of Malik Beasley making 40% of his threes over Jake Lehman making 34%, like you want that, but it doesn't really matter. So I think, I think of all the top players on the Wolves that could be hurt and removed, um, Malik is the one where you can take him out and the team still makes the most sense. You can still, you can still run a cat post up, right. And, and skip the ball over to the other side of the floor. And it's Jake Lehman or Jalen Noel shooting that shot. Is it going to go in as often as Malik would? No, but you still get to see that action play out, right? You get to see the cat and D'Lo pick and roll and, you know, somebody start, you know, it's the kick part of the penetrating kick is not going to be as effective, but at the same time, you get to see what it looks like. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to not necessarily obsess over results, I think, um, you know, from this standpoint of like, oh, what is the effectiveness of the pick and roll? Like, it's going to be better when Malik Beasley is out there rather than these other guys. I think the only thing that could like get in the way is if you start needing to play a Josh Kogi or a Jarrett Culver in those minutes. You know what I'm saying? Because now, now you have a 25% three-point shooter. Maybe they are not even going to take it at all, and it just kind of, you know, shuts yeah. the whole thing down. But generally speaking, they should still be able to run their main things through Cat, D'Lo, and Ant and just have more shooters run them. That's a good point because you're right. If, as long as you have someone who is enough of a threat that they need to be accounted for, like a layman or a Jalen Noel, and, you know, Jalen Noel is kind of a kind of a poor man's Malik Beasley to, to a certain sure. degree anyway, as long as he comes back relatively healthy relatively soon. But you're right where it could break down is you put someone who just flat out can't shoot the defense doesn't honor that at all. And then you don't really get a sense of uh, what would, what would this look like with at least a decent shooter and, you know, towns doesn't get hard doubled every single time or something like that, where you're, you're, you're at least seeing how things look with a, with a functional, you know, shooter in that spot. So I, I suppose that that makes some sense. It's just a kind of a bummer, I guess that you just, right. as long as, you know, as long as we've been talking about this, it's been kind of towns and, Russell that you've really wanted to see together and they'd only played five games together since the trade until Monday night. And hopefully they get 21 more at the end of this year, but Beasley kind of became part of that. And I think, but I think to your point, Anthony Edwards was maybe becoming a bigger piece of, we want to see what these three look like together. And we did see that in that first game back Monday and we saw a win. And what was interesting to me is they weren't particularly efficient in that game. Those three guys, I thought they played Mm -hmm. pretty well. They had, you know, the points, the rebounds, the assists even were there across the board, but neither one of, none of them shot over 50%. 
you know, Russell was like seven of 19. He still had the highest shot volume. Though that was still took 24 the most minutes too. <laughs> yeah, I know he, he didn't start, but he got his shots. But I, I guess, you know, Edwards didn't do a lot of, in the, it didn't have a ton of usage, at least from what I thought in, in, in the final, you know, in the final minutes, Delo kind of took over a little bit of that fourth quarter and, and with some effectiveness, what do you make of that dynamic and how that's going to play out, especially in, you know, closing situations, situations where Edwards was kind of learning and growing before Russell came back. Well, Rand, I mean, you don't need, you don't need three closers. Like at the end of the day, like, you, I mean, is it, is it good to have a third option? Sure. But like Ant has, has popped at times in clutch time this year, but he is not going to be in a more effective, you know, closing option than, than Cat or Delo could be. So I, I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal. Like have Ant do what he's been doing in that Knicks game and that Grizzlies game, like activate yourself, right? You know, play the passing lanes, get those deals, get those offensive rebounds. Like, you know, that's your role. And then, and then play off of the Cat and Delo dynamic there. I mean, we saw, we saw basically right in this, this last game in the fourth quarter where it was, you know, Delo moved into the spot that Ant had been. They kind of run that little horn set up there where it's Rubio, Cat, and Ant in the past, and now it's Delo there. And, and so what it, the shift is, is Ant end up, ends up moving to the corner. I think the biggest thing Ant is going to need to do, because that's not going to just be fourth quarter, so that's going to be all the time, right, is like he needs to stay in his head when he's in the corner, which is like a boring spot on the floor, is to, to understand that like he's one pass away from being the guy, you know, raise up, catch the ball, attack the hoop, get your, get your pick and roll out of there. But I think a big problem and why the net rating, I think, of the Ant and Delo minutes back at the beginning of the season was like minus 16, it was terrible is that it was so baton passing, right, from D'Lo to Ant. I think about that Oklahoma City game where it was just D'Lo, D'Lo, D'Lo over and over again. And Ant, and part of that's on Ant because he, was he wasn't activating himself from the corner. He's just kind of sitting there waiting. So he's got he's to learn what that looks like. I mean, you would assume that a number one overall pick, right, how much time in his basketball life has he been like, eh, you're the third or fourth option here. Why don't you go stand in the corner? You know, like that's a learning process. But it's critical because that's going to be – Beyond this year, like, this is the core. And you are not always going to be, you know, the number one option on this team this season or, or next. And that's a good point, too, because it's like, I think we think of development as you've always got to be the guy or you've always got to, you know, if we're thinking about the last 21 games and, oh, he's not going to maybe get the same, you know, high leverage opportunities in the fourth quarter or closing games and have the ball in his hand and running screen and roll with Cat. But you're right. If, if you've got enough of those guys on your team, you don't have to always, you have to learn to play another way in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I guess, I guess the, the bigger question though, is that with development, you were seeing a lot from Edwards and even McDaniels was more of a non-factor offensively Monday than we've seen him for a while. He had kind of, you know, for a couple games when Beasley was out, he was almost a third option um, offensively, which was, you know, interesting to see how he could progress that way. And, you know, he was doing a lot of, you go stand in the corner the other night right. and he only got, I think five shots. And some of that was foul trouble, but some of it was, you know, some of it was though, it was, you know, overlapping minutes with a lot of guys who get, who want to get shots up. And there wasn't a whole lot of guys. There's nobody else who was double digit shots. I don't think in Monday's game. So do you worry, I guess, big picture about development when you've got these, you know, you've got the two cornerstone, you know, the quote unquote, you know, mid twenties veterans back, you know, in high usage roles, especially late in the game? You know, I, I don't really. I, I think it's like we're all very confused as Timberwolves followers that 
you know, of what normal basketball looks like. I mean, that's what it looks like to be the third or fourth best player on a team. Like you, you sometimes you don't get it. Like I, I, like they should and will learn that we're just used to the fourth guy or the third guy being Wancho or, or, you know, somebody from, you know, passes. I'm trying to think of like a, a, a different name, but it's, it's okay. It's okay to be a low usage guy, you know, and you're still going to get your spots. Like Ant is still going to get his, I mean, Ant's taken 20 shots a game since Finch has been here. Like that's not going to, that's not going to go down. He can still get, you know, plenty of opportunities to, you know, to, to, to work his game. It's not going to all get deleted. Like Jaden is going to have his opportunities to catch an attack or just catch and shoot. Like it's, it's not going to be the exact same volume, but we're not talking about like hacking off, no. you know, in, in, in half there. So you're a rookie, like earn it, you know, right. to, to, to some extent, Ant hasn't earned 20 shots a game. And right. he's been and, more, he's been more efficient lately, I would say. Um, sure. So, you know, he's, he's getting to that point, but you're right. You're we're, we're not used to having <laughs> three, let alone five guys who can, yeah. you know, potentially score on the, on the floor at the same time. It should make them all better. That's the thing. It's like, we, we think about, we go, okay, what do they have to sacrifice for each other? Well, sometimes in sacrifice, you, you find efficiency, you know, and, and I don't see why that can't be the, you know, the case with this group, because, you know, how many times has Ant had to force a shot this year? How many times has Cat forcing his way through a double team? Are we late in the shot clock and someone's jacking something up? Like <laughs> having more good players on the floor is a good thing. Right. I just, I think the question that we're going to see unfold over the last 21 games is how do those good players fit together? Is there synergy or is there mm-hmm. a, you know, is, are the, are the collective parts better than, or are they less than the, uh, the whole? Um, so with that in mind, you know, first game, there was some good things. They only gave up 106. If the, if the worry was defense that they, they got away with some things, probably some shots that didn't fall, but also, you know, a pretty good defensive showing. They've had some better defensive showings. What globally, as we think of Russell back, um, Rubio back, uh, by the way, did they mention uh, how this medical miracle of guys going from doubtful to in uh, ever transpired? I missed the, I missed the post game. I missed the lead up to that. It's, it's another Tim rules miracle with the injury report. <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, I was a little curious about that. How you go from, I guess you, you hedge a little bit if you say doubtful, but questionable seems like a better place if you want to play that game. Anyway, if, uh, <laughs> I'm if, not touching that. <laughs> no, that's all I can. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. You don't have to, but, um, what, what, what from Monday felt sustainable or able that they could replicate versus what felt like, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that on a night in a night out basis. Well, I would say globally, to use your word, competence, right? Like the, the problem with this team this year has been in about half the games in the first half, maybe the second quarter, they get punched in the mouth, right? And it's it's a team gets hot, they make four or five, three, something like that. And boom, here we go, double-digit deficit. By the end of the second quarter, it's 20. Game over at that point, right? And what, what they haven't had, they, they're never going to have the defense to with this roster to be able to make that punch not happen they, they they don't have the personnel to be able to slow that down so you counter that with offensive competence right and and that's by having guys around cat because their counter basically has been all right we need now if they're going to get hot the other team's going to get hot we got to go to cat well what are you going to do if you're the other team and like they're obviously going to go to cat here so let's just double and force the ball out of his hands and 
you know, that has worked. You stifle the Wolves, you get them down by 18, 20 points in the first half, it's over. That is incompetence. You know, not having another option of a player to go to is incompetence. And now through, you know, the progression of Ant, through D'Lo being back and just a group of guys who have played in the league. I mean, I, I think back to the beginning of the year and or like kind of the middle of the year and Jared Vanderbilt's kind of out there and kind of feels like the veteran, right? Like, oh, he's, you know, like he's been in the NBA before. Well, Jared Vanderbilt had played like 49 minutes in the NBA before this season, you know? And so he, you're and signing felt, up for he incompetence. Like a, he felt like a throw-in in last year's trade. And all of a sudden he's playing like heavy. Starting. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Sure. Jared Vanderbilt. Why not? So I guess to answer your question, I, I think competence can be sustainable and that's not a high bar, but that means, that means games it, over, it, over this. It is kind of a high bar, <laughs> Dane. Let's be honest. It's a high bar. That, okay. All right. Well, I just think that a goal for this team needs to be, to be in, you know, close to all 21 of these games. So you can actually learn about them. That was the most frustrating thing. I think covering this team is you go, okay, the second half doesn't matter. Right. Like they're down by 20, some, whatever's going to happen. You know, well, McLaughlin's going to have 16 points in the second half because it's garbage time, you know? Like, they need that from a team-building standpoint to learn about this group. So I think that to some – we're going to have four-quarter games, at least three-quarter games. I think that is actually – is going to be big for this team. As far as, like, what we saw on the floor that can be – do I feel confident is going to consistently be there? I mean, right, the two kind of things are that D'Lo played shooting guard the whole time, right? He was on the floor for – with Rubio or McLaughlin for 23 of his 24 minutes. Do I think that's sustainable? Is that, the, is that the best thing? I don't know. I mean, like to some extent, it would be great if it, if like off ball D'Lo becomes a thing that's huge, not just for Rubio and making him have some value, but Ant, you know, as Ant next year takes more of a progression. We're seeing Ant as more of a, a lead ball handler, right? A combo guard at the very least. Yeah. So, so if he's, if he's a combo guard, like you got to have somebody who could combo with him. And, and so to have D'Lo, you know, make that work, I just don't want to react to last night and be like, okay, we're good. Like right. we got, we, we've got our two guard now because we have 25 games from the beginning of the season where the minutes with D'Lo and Rubio were a disaster. Right. The minutes with D'Lo and Ant were a disaster. Like it, D'Lo was better when he was purely playing point guard by himself. Now a bunch of variables have moved around, like maybe off ball D'Lo is a thing. I just, I don't want to just stamp it and say like, we're good here. Like this makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I don't cat and Nas was another one last night. They, yeah. they, they closed the game together, but at the same time, I, I like Nas, but I'm like, okay, we, we got it. <laughs> Power forward <laughs> check. Like, no, I like I, beat Sacramento. So, you can beat anybody. You can dodge so, a wrench. You can dodge a ball. Exactly. So I don't know. I mean, it's these things again. That's why I think these last 20 games are important. Like string together a chunk of 10 games where D'Lo is the shooting guard. Show me what you're able to do in that time. Show me what 100, 200, 250 minutes with Cat and Oz looks like together. Like, those are the things we need to be able to learn from this team. This front office needs to be able to know, put a grade on those type of things. So you can say, when the draft comes around, when the offseason comes around, what is the need? What are we doing at point guard? How, like, what is, what is our plan here? Is Rubio, is Rubio saying, is Rubio going? How bad of a need is power forward is cat a power forward. Like these are, these are the things that you can compete with. That's not tanking to try different things in that way. They could be actually have benefits, but this is, it's, it's time to test different things that might actually work. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I really think like the last for the worst team in the league, like 
it should be an interesting last 20 games. Yeah, for sure. Last thing, last kind of thought as we wrap up this segment, you, you know, we, we, you alluded to the draft. We've alluded to, you know, what's at stake here in these 21 games. I, I'm just, I'm of the mind that they, the Wolves, Gerson Rosas in their wildest imagination did not imagine that they would be 13 and 38 right now, that there's no way in the world that you do a trade with such a light protection on a first round pick without thinking that you're going to be at least like flirting with the, the play in, or, you know, at least mm-hmm. if you're giving it up, it's going to be in the eight to 10 range and not potentially four or five. So I don't, I don't think they had a, I don't think they went into the season thinking, Oh boy, we, we got to make sure we, we lose. Um, and nobody does, but you know, I don't, I don't think in, a, in their wildest imagination, they could have envisioned having the worst record in the league right now. That said, a lot of what they're going to do going forward feels like it sure hinges on whether that 40% hits or not. What do you, how do you think they, balance that as they you know think about going forward i mean organically they just might finish in the bottom three anyway but as as you think about pretty organic thus far it's been pretty organic thus far yes we think um and so you know what do you as you think about that how important do you think maximizing their chances at that 40 percent is versus winning as many games and you know as possible in, in these last 21 well two things so the bottom, you can have the worst record, right. the second worst record, and the third right. worst record, and you have 40.1%. That, you know, you don't have to teams, be the worst. A lot of teams got worse at the trade deadline, though. They're going to start creeping up on the Oklahoma cities and Detroit's of the world pretty quick here. But what I will say is you fall to the, the fourth worst spot, and you're still 36.6%. Right. You slide down another spot, it's like 32.5. Like, that's the opportunity cost, right? Is What is this? Is it worth competing for 20 games? you know, to lose 8% on your, on your pick there. I mean, I don't know, somebody better at math would have to calculate that, but it's not totally punting on your odds of keeping the pick by trying the rest of the way. But to your broader point here, right? The 40.1% and this pick is massive. It's, it's absolutely massive. This team is, I've said forever um, that I believe the Rosa's plan was two years of this. Then you blow it out in 2021 and you know, you just kind of looked at the rosters, the contracts that he inherited when he was here. You, you add a little bit of age to over the course of those that time. Like 2021 is the time. That's where this team, you know, makes their push to go for the playoffs and to to actually start competing. Now, having that asset in your pocket completely changes what you can do. You compare if you get a top three pick and you and you attach that to Malik Beasley, like you're in the conversation for a lot of different a top three pick, attach it even Rubio, whatever, like get, get creative on the trade machine. However you want, you got money to go buy on the trade market. Like that's, that's big. Now there's another mini path off of here that says, well, do we want that top three guy on our team? If you got the number one pick, are you trading Cade Cunningham and, and punting on the idea of Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards going forward, or, you know, choose your Evan Mobley's or Jalen Suggs, whatever. Right. I mean, it's a fascinating conundrum. It's a good, it's a good problem to have, but really you start setting up this thing. Are, are we trading this asset to improve the cat and D'Lo core or do we lean into being young? And, and what that eventually, I mean, what that could mean, if you have Kate Cunningham and Anthony Edwards on your team, your team's not going to be good by the time Carl Anthony Towns' contract is up. That's just, that's just the numbers game. I mean, it's, it's, you think, you think Kate Cunningham, is or any of those guys it's going to be like edwards right the first year is going to be slow like Maybe. even luca 
even Luca, man, yeah, it took a, it took a full year. Some guys just come in and they do it right away. I don't know. It's you're right though. It it. That, but what are the odds? Yeah, right. The, the odds that someone comes in that young and just you know now nobody is LeBron. Like it's it's going to happen once a decade that someone just comes in and is like you're 19 and you just light it up and there's there's no doubt about it. But they got to keep the pick in the first place. So, but it's you know it's just there's there's good problems to be had if they if they hit that pick. If yeah. they don't, then there's just problems. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly, because then you're talking. You know, I mean, it feels like the difference is because I feel like they'll be better next year no matter what, if they do or don't sure. get this pick, um, I we, hope. Say that every, we say that every year and it maybe <laughs> won't be true, but, um, you know, so you're talking about the difference between getting a top three pick this year, or mm-hmm. maybe getting like a number eight or 10 pick next year. If that's where you, that's where you are next year. And that's mm-hmm. a pretty big, that's a pretty big gap, especially when you have such a deep draft. So, so much to, uh, so much to figure out over these last 21 games. You're right for a 13 and 38 team. There sure is a lot of, a fascination here you'll cover it uh, extremely well on your podcast um i appreciate dane Moore you jumping on daily delivery and uh, providing some of the insights here as well i'm i'm glad to see you you know put down the pen and put on the microphone man it's welcome <laughs> to 2021 you know it's <laughs> it's it. a it's a whole new game whole new game baby all right dane see ya Let's end quick with the cooler. Twins home opener Thursday is weather permitting. I see a 100% chance of rain right now, so we'll see if that game is actually played. Twins versus Mariners at 3 p.m. Thursday. One thing that is not weather permitting, though, sign up for a Twins live event. I'm hosting it at noon on Thursday. StarTribune.com slash sports has the sign-up information. I will be on with Roy Smalley, plus a Star Tribune columnist Lavelle Enil III and new Twins beat writer Megan Ryan. Check that out, sign up, and uh, we'll have a good time talking Twins before what we hope is the home opener with 10,000 fans in the stands on Thursday. That'll do it for me today. We'll also talk Twins on the podcast tomorrow. Phil Miller joins me to set up the next, the first homestand, what happened over the uh, the first uh, you know six games of the season, his impressions of being out in Milwaukee and Detroit. Thanks for joining me today on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Write a review, subscribe to StarTribune.com, do all that good stuff, and we'll catch you again on Thursday. Thursday.